following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Romans chapter 12 today is our text. And uh, really important passage of Scripture here today, really practical. Uh, but but uh, to set the stage, uh, before we read the passage... Uh, I'd like to introduce you to a case study, all right, that I'm going to use uh, throughout the, the service today. And uh, this case study, we're going to call this guy Joe, all right? And uh, not thinking of any Joes in here or anyone in particular. Um, but, but Joe is, is 30 years old. He's married to Jill, and together they have two young kids. Now, Joe loves Jesus, and, uh, and, and he's motivated to lead his family well, to be a good husband and father, and he wants to make an impact in his church. And uh, Joe also loves his job at the local plant, and uh, he works hard. He wants to honor the Lord and how he does his job, and, um, and, and he's motivated. But, uh, but Joe is also motivated to advance, because in Joe's current position, he really doesn't make that much money, and so his wife, Jill, has to work part-time to make ends meet. And Joe's current job also means he's got a really wonky work schedule, and so he has to miss a lot of church activities. But it's the job God's provided, and so he's thankful, and uh, there's the potential where he's at for him to advance and, and to move up the ladder, to, to make more money, and, and to get better hours. Well, unfortunately, his supervisor, whom we're going to call Jezebel, because she's a Jezebel sort of woman, <laughs> Jezebel is a thorn in Joe's side. She is a lazy jerk. But she's weaseled her way into this great position because she's really good at playing company politics. Now, she's never liked Joe because she doesn't like Christianity. And as well, she doesn't like the fact that his work ethic consistently makes her work look bad. And so, she loves to get under his skin. She, she curses and she tells foul stories in front of Joe just to bother him. And he listens as she mocks him to her drinking buddies. He endures as Jezebel takes twisted pleasure in making his day miserable. But for three years now, Joe has worked under Jezebel and he's just worked hard and put his head down and tried to do his best. But every year, Jezebel's annual reviews are still picky, they're harsh, and they're borderline false. And because of that, it makes it nearly impossible for him to advance in the company because, because of the reviews that she is giving. Now, Ryan, Joe's unsaved co-worker, is furious for Joe. He sees what's going on, and he's not happy. And he tells Joe, Joe, you need to stop listening to her silly requests. And send a harsh review to her superiors. Tell them what's up. And you need to call out her evil behavior. Now, Joe would love to do that. He does not like this woman. But he wants to honor the Lord. And he's not quite sure what that looks like. So what should Joe do? Well, thankfully, God has not left Joe, and he hasn't left you without guidance about how to live with difficult people. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved 
But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now like Joe, you will suffer mistreatment. And how should you respond? Well, God gives his fundamental answer to how we respond to mistreatment in verse 21 when he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And Paul builds that out with a series of practical instructions. So first of all, God challenges you in this passage that when you are mistreated, you must maintain your integrity. Now that's really hard when you're in Joe's position. You know, when someone is acting like a moron, you want to be a moron back to them, right? And Joe wants to slander Jezebel. And if she's not, not going to give him promotion, then, then why should he keep working hard for her if she's not going to help him out? Now, most people would give her what she deserves. And she deserves for, for him to be a jerk back. But, but Joe understands, and so must you, that Christians are not most people. Now, Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says that you have been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. So Christian, you are not the same person anymore. What the world does does not determine how you respond. Chapter 6, verse 6 says, Our old self was crucified with Him so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So, what we're going to look at today is very different from how most people respond to these kinds of situations. But remember that we are not most people. And we are not left alone in this. So don't let the world dictate how you respond to mistreatment. No, follow Christ. Believe that in the strength of Jesus, you can be different. And maintain your integrity. Now, now how do you do that? How do you maintain your integrity? Well, first of all, Paul says, do not retaliate. Do not retaliate. Now, Joe, he's got a mile of excuses. You know, Jezebel is behaving horribly. And, of course, her reviews of him aren't just hurting Joe. They're hurting his family because, because his wife has to work. And they're keeping him from being involved at church. So, surely, you know, he might tell himself, surely God would understand if just a few malicious words slip out of my mouth. You know, surely God would understand you know, if, if I am going to stop making Jezebel look good by working hard for her, she needs to understand what's going on here. But God says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. So someone else's sin never excuses yours. Never. Now, now we all know that's hard. You know, maybe you've got an unsaved sibling that won't stop ribbing you. Maybe your spouse is perpetually inconsiderate and ungrateful. And maybe you go to work and it's a hot day, it's stressful at work, and you know, you've got a lazy coworker who just sits there and complains and does nothing while you're doing everything. And you want to lose it on that guy, right? And tell him how, how lazy he is and give that person what he deserves. 
But God says to you in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil. The literal idea there is do not let evil win the victory. So do not let sinners drag you into their muck. Do not retaliate. Now that's not to say that you never confront sin, that that you just sit back and and let come what may. That you never stand up for yourself or, or, or put a sinner in his place. I think it takes real discernment, it takes real thought to know when do I deal with the issue and when do I not. And I I love how Solomon describes the tension of how we deal with these situations in Proverbs 26. He says, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will be like him. And then he turns around the very next verse and says, answer a fool as his folly deserves that he not be wise in your own eyes. It sounds like a contradiction, right? So so verse 4 sounds like our text. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. So so God says, don't let the fool drag you into his foolishness. Don't sink to his level. And and our text says, do not be overcome by evil. But but verse 5 immediately adds that there is a time to put a fool in his place. And to correct his inflated self-perception, it says, answer a fool as his folly deserves. Now, how do you tell when to not answer a fool according to his folly and when to answer a fool according to his folly? Well, the answer is in the consequence and in the heart behind it. So Proverbs answers that that you need to think about the consequences of your actions. If you're going to rebuke a fool, if you're going to put a fool in his place, make sure that you are doing so because you lovingly want to point out his foolishness and help him see just how broken he is. So make sure that that love drives it. That you're trying to help him, not just hurt him or or get something off your chest. But, But God says to you, never sink to his level. Do not become a fool yourself because of the foolishness of other people. So our text says, never retaliate to mistreatment. Bite your lip. Continue to love. Speak the truth. Now now why? Why would Jesus tell you to do that? Well, 1 Peter 2 says that Christ left you an example for you to follow in His steps. Speaking of the cross, it says, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So so Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood, to be slandered, to to endure abuses. And He commands you still to follow in His steps. So do not be overcome by evil. Now that demands then that you discipline your responses. So, So verse 17 again says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Now the idea behind respect there is to take thought or to discern. So, so in other words, when someone mistreats you, you, you want to respond impulsively, right? 
to just do what you feel, to, to get it off your chest. But, but Paul says, slow down, think, discern what would honor the Lord. And, and Paul especially urges Joe to consider his testimony with his co-workers. He says, respect what is right in the sight of all men. And that's really interesting because you know, Joe's co-workers, most of them are lazy liars themselves. But while they are lazy liars, they know that laziness and lying are wrong. And so they know as well that Joe is a Christian. And so even though they're lazy liars themselves, they hold Joe to a higher standard. They respect Joe for his testimony. And Joe would tarnish it if he sank to the level of becoming a lazy liar himself. Now, is that fair? No. Is it hypocritical of those co-workers? Absolutely. Is it hard to be Joe in that situation? Yes. But who cares? Who cares? You know, you have the opportunity to display Jesus when you respond well to mistreatment. So follow in His steps. You know, discipline yourself to, to maintain your honor. Do not respond in kind. Do what, what everyone knows is right in the sight of God. Make sure that you show the world the beauty and the grace of Jesus in the midst of mistreatment. And as you do, you will win the victory. You know, Paul says at the end of the passage, verse 21 again says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, that statement there, the, the end of verse 21, moves from defense to offense. So, so when people mistreat you, your first goal is defensive. Don't be overcome by evil. Don't sink to other people's level. But God says don't just be content not to respond in kind. No, by God's grace, you want to overcome evil with good. So go on the offensive. Do something kind. Be gracious. Be merciful. You use your good behavior to change the situation. You're just a simple example of that. I remember my first semester in college. I um, uh, went to school and, and um, got there kind of early because we had freshman orientation. A few days later, I had an upperclassman roommate named Alex move into the room with me. And, and Alex, from the moment he met me, decided he didn't like me. And he wanted to make sure that I knew that he was the upperclassman, he was the junior, and I was the freshman. And, and one of the things that, that Alex didn't like is he didn't like some of the music that I liked to listen to while I was studying. And so, you know, after school, after classes got done, I'd be sitting in my room, listening to music while I was doing my homework, and, and Alex would walk in the room. And when Alex walked in the room, I had two choices. I could turn the music up to irritate him, or I could shut it off. And uh, I chose several times. Listen to music, Alex walks in the room, shut the, get up out of my chair, go shut the music off. That three or four times, and I remember, remember one day, he walks in the room, I get up to shut off my music, and Alex says, you don't need to do that, leave it on. And, and before long, we, we became really good friends. We had a great spirit in our room, I think we had five guys in our dorm room, it was insanely tight, but we got along really well. We had a wonderful spirit throughout that year, and, and what was a, guess a tense, difficult environment turned into a really good and encouraging one. And, and it's so simple, Right? It's so simple to, to, to confront evil with good, but it is not easy. You know, Jezebel, she frustrates Joe so deeply. 
And every day she hurts him and hurts his family. And he wants to be a jerk. Or or at least just stay as far away from her as he possibly can. He doesn't want to do anything good to her. But he does. Every day, he's kind. He's respectful. He treats her well. He writes a, a nice Christmas note and invites her to church. And he works hard no matter how she's going to respond. Now, now, does that guarantee that she will change? No. It, it might just make her more angry and more irritated at him. But, but Joe is making an impact on Ryan and the other guys in the team, and they are amazed at Joe's responses. And how in the world does he do that? And they are seeing the grace of God and the character of Jesus in Joe's responses. So so be like Joe. I know some of you have Jezebels in your life. And it might be your supervisor, like Joe. It might be a co-worker. It might be a parent, a sibling. It might even be your spouse. And it's exhausting. It's hurtful. It is frustrating to be around this person. But God commands you, do not be overcome by evil. Do not let bitterness take root in your heart. And do not let that person drag you into envy, strife, or some kind of childish turf war. No, overcome evil with good. So do the right thing over and over, even when you don't want to. Maybe you need to plan a special act of kindness that, that is specifically hard for you to pull off. You'll make yourself do the kind thing. I know it's hard. I know that no one else at work acts the same way or does the same thing. I know there's voices in your head and voices around you that say, be a jerk back. But we are not everyone else. We are new creatures in Christ. And in Christ's strength and by the grace of God, you can overcome evil with good. So maintain your integrity. And then the second major challenge that Paul gives is to pursue peace. Pursue peace. So he says in verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now this is another challenge like like several others in Romans 12 that sounds a lot like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And then later he says, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. And the idea there is that you have sinned against your brother, but you have not yet dealt with it. If your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar. Go, first be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. So so both Jesus and Paul command you to aggressively pursue peace. I love how how Ken Sandy describes it in his book, Peacemaker. He he makes a distinction between a peacemaker and a peace faker. And uh, so let's suppose that you are a peace faker, all right? You know, someone has hurt you, and, and you are full of anger and bitterness, but you put on a happy face. And pretend like there is peace when there is not. Or maybe you have hurt someone else. 
You both know it, but you are too proud to actually address it and deal with it, and you just hope that it will disappear. So rather than actually making peace, you fake it. You're nice, but you keep your distance. Maybe you you hide deep hurt behind a show of kindness. It's easier that way, right? You don't have to face your emotions. You don't have to make yourself vulnerable. And you don't have to, to face the potential fallout of picking at a sore scab. But, but Jesus does not accept a peace faker. No, He says that if you refuse to make your sins right, you are unqualified to worship Christ. I mean, to make a, a really specific application, if you have sinned against someone and you have not made that right, then you should not have taken the Lord's Supper a few moments ago. Because Jesus says that if you, have not, if you do not have a clear conscience before someone, you need to leave your offering, go take care of it, and come back. Folks, this matters to God. So be honest and be humble. Now, I know it is really hard to say, what I did was wrong, and I'm sorry. It's hard to do. But put on your big boy pants and do it. In the grace of God. You know, maybe someone has sinned against you. And you are withholding forgiveness. You do not want to let go of your anger. You, you, you love your anger. And you find some, some twisted joy in being angry at this person. You know, maybe you, you refuse to admit how bitter you are. You know, I, I'm, I'm not angry. You've ever heard that before? I've heard that plenty of times. You can hear it in their voice. And people don't want to admit that it's there. Maybe some of you have been hurt so badly that that the world would classify it as trauma. Maybe you were abused. Maybe someone has deeply betrayed you. You It might be all sorts of things that, that are serious. Serious things. And for years, you've just tried to press it down. Pretend like none of it happened. But, but it just keeps bubbling to the surface because it is deep and it is real. You know, God commands you to pursue peace with all men. He doesn't give any exceptions and He doesn't set any limits. Now, I understand that, that some of the hurts that you maybe have endured are very deep. So you might need to get help facing them. You might need to to find a brother or sister in Christ, talk to one of the pastors or another counselor to to help you work through it. But but you have brothers and sisters in the church that would love to come alongside you and help you deal with it biblically. And understand that the grace of God is sufficient. You don't need to just press it down and pretend like it's not there. You can confront whatever it is in the strength of God's grace, and know that it will be enough. So so face it. Choose to forgive. God says, pursue peace. Now, of course, Paul also notes here that, that it's not always possible to reconcile. He says, as much as lies within you. So what's the assumption? Sometimes you go as far as you can, and there's no peace. Sometimes you try but the other person just refuses to budge. You know, sometimes they'll forgive you, 
But for them to forgive you, you've got to compromise biblical convictions in order for the relationship to be truly reconciled. And you can't do that. You can't stop obeying God. Now, some of you are, are probably there right now in a relationship. You've tried. I mean, you've tried everything you know to do, and the other person won't budge. And maybe you really miss that relationship, and it hurts. Well, God sees. God sees, and God cares. And, and, and He is enough. As well, you've got a church family here that, that wants to love you and, and fill that gap as much as possible. So trust the Lord if you're in that spot. Keep praying. You know, keep the door open because you never know what God might do in that person's life if, if you just continue to love. You know, folks, I mean, this verse, verse 18 is so basic, but it is not normal. It is not normal. You know, our culture loves to talk about toxic people. And it loves to talk about, you know, it tells you, cut all the toxic people out of your life. You know, you need, you need this safety, this security, this, this fortress around yourself. Now, now obviously it's true that, that, that not every relationship is edifying and, and you need to pursue significant relationships with people who build you up. That is very true. But to be very clear, guarding your emotional safety is not exactly a high biblical priority. And God is, you know, God is not telling you that you know, just find all these bad people and get rid of them so that you can feel good. I mean, that's not in the Bible. No, the Bible urges you to love people with a servant's heart and to trust that the grace of God is enough to sustain you through whatever hardship that might bring. So do the hard thing. Pursue peace with all men, all people. You know, maybe you, you have an awkward relationship with someone in this church because of some kind of past hurt or, or whatever it might be. Have you done everything in your power to pursue peace? Everything. And if not, God says to you, so far as it depends on you, you need to do everything you can to pursue peace. So go after that person with grace and love. You'll listen. When they, when they make an accusation or say something that you think is silly and absurd, take it with grace. Listen. Be patient. Because peace matters. You know, maybe someone has hurt you. And they don't even know that they have hurt you. But you're just kind of keeping your distance from them because you're hurt and you're bothered. Now, that's happened to me. It happens to, to me as a pastor quite often. You know, where something happens, I do something, I say something that, that hurts someone and they're offended and they kind of back away. And I have no idea what I did. And, and you've probably been there too. And, and it hurts to know that, that someone is hurt and they won't just come to you and talk to you. So go to people. Now, love covers a multitude of sins. You don't have to confront every little thing that comes up. But, but if you can't pa get past it, if it is affecting your relationship to another person, love people. Love relationships enough to courageously seek reconciliation. You know, do the same in every other sphere. You know, maybe you've got an estranged sibling, a parent, a co-worker. 
Now, I know this is hard stuff, but people matter, right? People matter. Relationships matter. And the glory of God is at stake. So, so by the grace of God, do this. Pursue peace with all men, with all of your strength. And then the third major challenge that, that Paul gives is replace revenge with generosity. So Paul begins verses 19 and 20 with a blunt and all-encompassing prohibition. He says, never take your own revenge. So it is never right, never right for a Christian to just go get his pound of flesh. It is never right for you to seek someone's harm or to hurt someone out of anger or bitterness. Now, now I do want to be very careful here to distinguish vengeance from discipline, right? You know, so, so when I discipline my children, that is not vengeance. Now, first of all, I'm a God-ordained authority in their life, and God has given me the responsibility to discipline them for their good. And second, when I do that, I am loving them by helping them grow into the best version of themselves. But, but if you remove either of those two things, authority and, or love, from the equation, that then discipline becomes vengeance. So for example, let's get specific. Ladies, you are never right to do harm to your husband unless it is in some for, sort of act of self-defense. I mean, you don't have the authority to discipline your husband. And, and, and you should lovingly confront his faults. You should point out where, where ways, areas that he can grow. Help him be the best version of himself. But it is not your job to discipline your husband. You know, kids, the same goes for your siblings. You don't have the authority to do them harm. And just be honest, when you do harm to your siblings, it's not out of love. It's not because you want what's best for them. It's because you're angry. So do not get revenge. I mean, on and on it goes. You know, God forbids Joe from getting revenge against Jezebel. He forbids you from getting revenge against a neighbor, a family member, or a co-worker. And God cannot be clearer. Never pay back evil for evil. Do not seek revenge. Now, now you might reply, well, well but God, didn't God say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? And God did say that. God did say that. But, 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 but we need to understand that when God said an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, he, he only gives the authority to enact that principle to, to a rightful authority. Specifically, God gave that rule, that principle, to civil government. It is the government's job to give an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. So, and Jesus said to us as his disciples in Matthew 5, he said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. So, so it is not right for you to seek revenge. And, and don't try and weasel your way around that one. You know, every, every parent has watched kids 
find creative ways to get revenge. Right? I mean, it's amazing the little ways they know how to just nudge and prod and irritate because they're irritated. And it's so obvious and it's so childish. But you know what? Adults do the exact same thing all the time. We, we find our ways to be irritating and bothersome. So men, you know, you're, you're mad at your wife. And you go out and you bang around in the garage all night just to make her life miserable. When you're not going to directly confront it. You're just going to be loud and let her know that you're frustrated. Or ladies, you know, you're mad at your husband and so you're going you're gonna to just give him the silent treatment all night. You know, he's excited to watch a football game or something and have a good time or whatever, and you're, you're just going to do all that you can to make it as miserable of an evening as you possibly can. And it's childish. It's vengeance. It is sinful. Yeah, and, and so, it would be sinful revenge for Joe to stop working hard. It would be wrong of you to stop answering your boss's calls when you're supposed to take them because... He was a jerk that day. None of this is complicated, folks. None of it's complicated. But, but it is very hard. I mean, God says vengeance is always wrong. So don't do it. It is not your job to seek out someone's harm. But, but you might wonder, well, that's simple, but that is really hard. And, and Pastor, someone has really hurt me. If someone is doing terrible things in my life, how in the world can, can I not take vengeance and take my hands off? Well, well, God gives you the answer at the end of verse 19. Notice the foundation of that command at the, in the second part of the verse. He says in verse 19 again, never take your own revenge, beloved. And isn't it interesting that he adds the word beloved right there of all places? Because he knows what he just said is really hard when someone has really hurt you. So he says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, so God is clear that, that He is not telling you to be apathetic about sin or to not want justice for sin. No, the Bible consistently teaches that we should hate sin and we should love justice and even pray for justice. But you have to remember that it is not your job to bring justice to the world. I mean, God has not made you the justice department. And praise the Lord that He does promise full justice someday. I mean, what's He say? He says, I will repay. God will bring justice. So I know some of you have endured some terrible sins. Someone has abused you. Someone has betrayed you in a very significant way. Someone cheated on you in a terrible act. And, and, and God sees. God cares. He has not forgotten what that person did to you. And the Bible says that he is angry with the wicked every day. So God's not just rolling over. And someday he will execute perfect justice against sin on all who are not saved. 
And so considering that fact, that promise that God will bring justice, he commands you to leave room for the wrath of God. Leave room for the wrath of God. I tell my kids once in a while, let dad handle it. Right? Because they want to handle it themselves. They need to leave room for the wrath of dad. And you need to leave room for the wrath of God. Trust the Lord. Trust God. He will bring justice. And then do not be overcome by evil, but, and do not become full of bitterness and anger. And don't worry about getting your pound of flesh. You've got plenty of other things in your life to worry about and, and focus on without worrying about getting justice. Leave it with God. Trust that He will do what is right. And let go of your bitterness. Let go of it. Trust God. Forgive. Choose mercy instead of vengeance. And as you do, you will be able to obey the admonition in verse 20. Verse 20 adds, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. So since God has justice taken care of, you can focus on kindness and grace. And why is that? Why why does God want you to be kind to this person who has mistreated you? Well, it's because kindness honors the Lord. Kindness displays the gospel to the world. And and as well, it it heals your soul. It it heals your soul. I mean, the best way for, for Joe to resist bitterness, to fight anger in his life, is to replace it with, with mercy. It's for him to, to instead of, of, of you know, meditating on how he could hurt Jezebel, it's instead to think, how can I be a blessing to her? I mean, that is an act of forcefully turning your mind and heart towards grace. And you need to do the same. So, who are the people that you despise. You may say, oh, I, don't, I don't despise anyone, Pastor. There's someone that you dislike. It could be a family member. It could be someone in the church. It could be a politician or, or a public figure that just frustrates you to no end. You know, and, and so God is, is not commanding you to dismiss the sins of that other person. To pretend like they're not evil or doing horrible things. But he is commanding you to leave it with God. And then, seek that person's good. So pray that God would save their souls. Pray that God would do a mighty work in them. You'll give a warm compliment to that person. That feels so unnatural and so hard. Do something kind. Now, your flesh might really resist. But, but I promise you that, that doing that act of kindness will do your soul far more good than just holding on to bitterness. You know, you know, I mean, we like to think, my bitterness is mine. I'm going to hold it. And, and we think it makes us feel good. And it might feel good to hold on to bitterness. But you will be much better off. Far more at peace. Far more joy in your life if you replace that bitterness and anger with love and grace and compassion. So forgiveness 
for, forgive. And God, and God might use that kindness not only to heal your soul, but also to transform the relationship and the person. You know, Paul, Paul goes on to say that as you do this, you will heap burning coals on the person's head. Now, some people want to take that as meaning that you do these acts of kindness to, to in essence, create misery for that person. You know, that you're kind just to get under their skin. But, but that totally violates the spirit of the entire passage. So the much better way to understand that is, is that as you are kind, that your kindness brings conviction to that person's life. Your kindness begins to work on them and, and confront the, the, the bitterness and anger and evil in their own souls. And, and as God does that, that conviction might lead to repentance. And a glorious transformation. So, so don't ever doubt God's ability to do that. If God can use your kindness to change people. So, so do not be overcome by evil. Do not. Do not answer the fool according to his folly and become a fool yourself. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. And I'm confident that God's Spirit is working very specifically in some of your hearts. Like from the very beginning of this sermon, you've been thinking about one or two people. And you're bitter against them. You're angry. You're constantly looking for ways to take vengeance against them. And the Spirit of God is showing you that that's a problem. And I urge you, do not resist the work of the Spirit. Believe. Don't, don't make excuses about how you can't or it's not possible. No, believe that through Christ, you can walk in newness of life. You can forgive. You can pursue peace. You do not have to be overcome by evil. By the grace of God, you can overcome evil with good. So make the decision to do so. Now maybe throughout this whole sermon, your head is just spinning because what God is saying in this passage is absolutely foreign to how you have ever thought and lived your whole life. And very likely, the reason your head is absolutely spinning is because you do not really understand the grace of God in the Gospel. You know that Jesus came to His enemies. He loved us when we did not love Him. He died for the very people who put Him on the cross. His grace, His forgiveness is, is truly supernatural. And if you have never perceived Christ as your Savior, what, what you need to understand from this is that God loved you when you were His enemy. He sent His Son to die for you when you wanted nothing to do with Him. And He bore your sins on the cross so that you could be born again. And so if you've never received Christ, you need to have a conversation with, with one of the pastors or someone else in the church who you know loves the Lord. And you need to understand the forgiveness that is available in Jesus and you need to receive it for yourself. And the Bible says, to as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. So you can leave today going from an enemy of God to His child. And I hope you'll do so today. Let's, let's have everyone bow your head, close your eyes. We'll sing here in a moment, but, but I just, 
I want to just give you a moment to do business with God. Make a commitment to God of whatever it is that the Spirit of God is working in your heart. Make a commitment by the grace of God to do what is right. Maybe you need to confess a sin. Ask Him to forgive you. And you need to make plans to go and seek someone else's forgiveness. Just take a moment. Talk to the Lord about whatever it is the Spirit is doing. Father, we thank you today for Jesus, and we thank you for his incredible grace and mercy towards us. And God, I pray for people in this room who are hurt and hurting, that God, you would overwhelm them today with the love of Christ and give them a commitment and a confidence in you to do the things that you have called them to do. God, I pray that we would love well. I pray that we would show Jesus in all of life. I pray that you would heal broken hearts, broken relationships, and that you would glorify yourself and glorify the gospel in the process. God, help us to hold each other's arms in doing so. Help us to build each other up. And God, I pray especially that that in this context, Lord, in our church, that we would obey these verses. And Lord, that, that all the world would see that we are your disciples by how we love each other. In Christ's name, amen.